Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Greetings, comrades, and welcome to the Eastern Border. We are still working hard on all the regular episodes, but on the night from 7th to 8th of February, something so weird happened that I just have to speak about it. It's a tragic event, but it makes you think. So this episode will be dedicated to explaining what exactly happened in Syria from 7th to 8th, And why did it happen? So, let's start with the what part first. You see, uh, in Syria, there are these control zones near the Euphrates River. In one of these zones, uh, there were Kurdish democratic forces together with their American instructors. And apparently, uh, there were some Bashar Assad's forces supported by Russians who decided that, hey... The Kurdish people and the Americans are sitting on a oil factory. So, they started massing up their forces because they had decided that, hey, in our zone we don't really have any oil, so let's just, you know, make a quick one, sort of a grab bag of things, and run over and, uh, you know, take this stuff away from the Americans. The intelligence obviously noticed what his, what was going on because there was a massive, massive kind of uh, concentration of forces about 80 kilometers uh, southeast from Deir Azor, one of the city, which is the closest there. So the Kurdish general Hassan, through his intelligence, notices that a large amount of troops, which according to him include Russian troops, uh, come to attack their positions. Well, that's not not very nice as you can understand. So, Mr. Hassan, which is commander there, he calls his Russian counterparts, his contact in the Russian military, uh, which is kind of situated nearby, and he asks, hey, uh, you know, that's that's kind of weird thing that you're doing, why are you moving in our territory, because we're, we're not at war. And the Russian counterpart responds that, uh, hey, we, there are no Russians here. We, we totally weren't here at all. Uh, then, the American instructors... And officers and some technical personnel also start calling uh, to the Russian side. And they also say, hey, hey, are you sure that, you know, you're not coming towards us with, with all this? Because, you know, we don't really fight, want to fight you. Uh, because uh, we, we have ISIS to fight and there are things to do. And, and uh, after all, you know, this is kind of not nice what's going on here. Again, again, after many failed calls, there's a one nice final call... Uh, where, again, it, it has been approved that, indeed, in these attacking forces who are now advancing en masse with tanks and support artillery towards the Kurdish and the American positions, the Russians declare, officially declare, that, no, 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 we don't know what's going on there, there are no Russians there at all. And, you know, in fact, this is kind of true, because uh, Putin, Putin had declared a couple of weeks ago that, yep, you know, ISIS in Syria is done, we have won, all the mission objectives have been completed, let's just gather all our troops and get them home. Even even after that, you know, there was a, there was a bomber 
who got struck down in Syria, even though, you know, neither ISIS nor the bomber were supposed to be there, according to Mr. Putin, but, you know, there are completely no no Russians in this formation, and he does not know anything about it. You know, that's the official Russian position. And so, in the, in the words of many Russian commentators, apparently Americans must have said, well, if there are no Russians there, then, you know, there will be no Russians there. So what happened later was uh, that this column of advancing tank- tanks, it advanced towards the positions of Kurdish and American people, and they drove in two large groups, uh, of which they had support artillery in the back, and they had like about 10 to 20 tanks. So they drive, so they drive in two columns, this is about size of two battalions, and the, when the first battalion advances, the Kurdish forces take a position of retreat. They retreat back a bit. So then the commanders there, uh, Russian commanders, mind you, uh, decide to basically advance further on, and so they start, uh, start forming this attack line. Uh, there's a, there's a squad moved forward, and then the second reserve battalion also comes in, you know, everything seems to be going nice. And according to reports, that is also when some of the Russians kind of noticed that, hey, Americans have just in that, uh, that their base of operations, which is this oil factory, yeah, they've raised, raised the American flag too. As you know, that's another means of preventing what's gonna happen next. But they don't care uh, about this situation at all. So then, uh, just, <laughs> just in the, like a few moments after that, uh, everything's blown up to bits and pieces, totally destroyed. Uh, there are air, American airstrikes, American drones with automated rocket artillery take out all the uh, all the support artillery that's going on there. Everything's bombarded uh, and blasted away completely. Then Apache helicopters arrive to shoot down in, in this in the middle of the night there, because uh, the advancing forces thought that you know under the guise of night they will you know be, they will not be shot at and it'll be hard to see for them. They didn't think about thermic visors, apparently. Basically, everything's bombed, and then the Apaches arrive, and they start treating these uh, weird terrorists as terrorists, so they start hunting down any bombardment survivors with Apache helicopters. At the end, we have, like, with, with F-22 Raptors and everything, they just make sure that, that everything's pulverized. Uh, total losses include about 90% of all the vehicles, because out of the 10 tanks, uh, only one did not burn completely, and all the support artillery was totally destroyed, and up to 70% uh, of, of a whole, a whole personnel also get killed. And you know, it's, it's kind of weird because no one takes responsibility for this up until 15 minutes into this attack. The Russian general, whom Hassan had called before, apparently calls back and says, hey, could you please, uh, please stop bombing us? We need to take out, uh, our, our dead and our wounded. That's where the weirdness comes in because 15 minutes ago, everything, everyone was completely assured that, you know, there are no Russians there. And yeah, there are many, many reports about casualties, and they vary a lot. But currently, the amount of Russian soldiers dead in this attack varies from 215 to 645. And apparently, the 200 were only in kind of the first group, and the rest were in the second reserve battalion. Because it's a whole mess, because a lot of them just cannot be recognized, because they have been literally pulverized into a fine red mist. And the weirdest thing is that we also have, like, reports from them, which um, I have translated for you, to which I'll, I'll give you some captured, overheard on the airwaves reports from the Russian soldiers there, who, according to every source imaginable, were members of one... Chiveka Wagner, which is private warfare company, which are illegal in Russia, mind you, private warfare company Wagner, uh, those guys would be the 215 in the first wave, the elite forces, and I'll explain what and how Wagner operates uh, when we get to the Y part, and the other ones, uh, the ones that make the difference between the 200 and the 600, apparently are just uh, <clears throat> volunteers gathered and recruited from Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics. Which is also fun. But yeah, uh, I will now read you the reports from the Russian Russian mercenaries who were there. 
and of whom a lot of them died. Oh yeah, and those who didn't die, apparently, according to the reports on the ground, uh, most of them are completely out. They have terrible wounds, most of them have lost uh, limbs, there are terrible scars, head wounds, everything. Basically, Americans decided to use overwhelming strength in response to direct threat to them and the lives of their personnel and their allies. Which, in turn, has created a massive shock in Russia, because at first they even denied that this has happened, even though, uh, even in the face of overwhelming evidence, but now, now some reports uh, by the Russian government is, are being stated that, um, that you know, there, there might be five dead or ten dead, but uh, that's also how they reported in the Afghanistan war and in Chechnya, and everyone who knows anything about it know that the Russian government's official reports about losses need to be, you know, usually... Usually they need to be increased by about the tenfold, maybe twentyfold even. So yeah, uh, I will now allow the mercenaries to speak for themselves. Okay, so these are the captured recorded calls from those who participated in this combat, who were reporting back home, or just from their friends who were in contact giving calls. Uh, not exactly sure, but these recordings spread mostly by the family members of those who died there, or, or their comrades, or their friends, whatever. They have been circulating the Russian language internet for a few days now since the incident. Now, uh, they contain a lot of swear words, and I have translated them in the spirit of what these guys are relaying, instead of word for word, because I wanted to give you the feel on the ground, the whole feel of the whole situation, and uh, not just the dry accounts. But this obviously makes it explicit and uh, thus not family friendly. We have three calls here. In short, they fucked our guys to hell and back. In one company, fucking 200 people instantly dead. 200 fucking all at once. In another one, 10 guys that I don't know about the third, but there they also were hit very heavily. In short, you get it, three companies were hit. There were Pindosi, uh, which is a derogatory slang term for Americans used by the Russians, <clears throat> and they in the beginning started to fuck us up with the artillery and then raised four fucking helicopters and turned them into a roundabout. Blasted, in short, from a large caliber fucking machine guns which were blasting holes in everyone. But our guys, besides the assault rifles, didn't have anything fucking at all, not even talking about any RPGs or whatever. In short, we got obliterated. The Americans created the hell for us, and they concretely and totally knew that those were us, you know, that, that we Russians are going to capture the fuel factory. But they were, in short, you know, sitting in that factory, so we got screwed really hard. It's impossible to even think about this properly. I called the guys we're gonna get drunk now, and, you know, there are a lot of ton of guys who are missing in action as well. Fuck it. In short, Pony Pizdets, complete fuckery, yet another humiliation. In short, over there nobody's taking us into account, taking us seriously. These, these guys, they treated us like devils, and our fucking government will just quickly and silently pull it into reverse, and no one will do anything, and there will be no responses, we won't do anything, no one will get destroyed or avenged, but instead we have all these fucking losses. So then there's voice too, the kind of the second one. Brother, watch now. There are 177 dead, and that's only the fifth company. Second was kinda okay. In short, the fifth got completely screwed over. They were bombed by the aviation, the copters, artillery, and Kurds with Americans just basically shat on them. The guys didn't stand a chance. Almost everyone for the fifth is dead. The, remi the remaining are in extremely heavy condition. Tonight the Tulpan will come at night tonight, and then, then we'll meet some who survived. Okay, goodbye. Our Viktorovich, as I think, is also in the negatives. Uh, Tulpan is the nickname for the two transport airplane. And then the final, the third one. In short, the guys are calling back now. They had gone to form a column that didn't drive to them about 300 meters, fuck 700 to the positions. One squad went forward, but these, the column, they were standing. They didn't drive 300 meters. Those bastards raised the American flag and started blasting us to hell. And then helicopteristic flight and started shooting everyone. 
Now the guy's called back, in total it seems like 215 people are cargo 200 now. Uh, from the Afghanistan war, that's the terminology for the dead soldiers being transported. In short, they blasted us just off fully, dedicated themselves. What were our guys thinking? That they would just run away in fear, give up? Fuck knows. In short, complete fuckery. Most of them can't be recognized, everything's blasted to pieces, and there is so many of them. They blasted the standing column with bombs and artillery completely. Their infantry didn't even move. From the vehicles, one tank and one artillery piece is left standing, everything else was turned into scrap in the first moments of battle. Yeah, so that's, that's what happened. In short, there are reports now that there are hospitals in Russia with a massive amount of wounded, and like literally yesterday, uh, according to official government reports, another 15 of these Cheveka Wagner uh, mercenary troops got killed uh, when they were technically guarding a munitions factory. You know, uh, it's kind of interesting because one, the Russian government denies that there are any regular army troops there, even though these are the same guys, the Wagner, say, the Wagnerians, who also fought in Donetsk and Luhansk. And they still refuse to take any responsibility, they refuse to give any kind of mourning or anything, because the Russian government nicely denies that it had anything to do with this situation, you know, some, something random happened. And the Kurdish military leader Hassan, in this call where he described how he could call the Russians before and he didn't understand what was going on, and after this, when uh, Dmitry Peskov, the press secretary of Putin, also had stated that why, we, we don't follow what our citizens are doing in other places, it's just random. And then he said, well, it's kind of weird that I got called and told that no one was there, then that other call to, to kind of gather the dead bodies. Kind of silly that a superpower doesn't know what his army is doing. Now it's a tragic situation, but it's really important because, for now, at least, uh, Putin, I don't know when you're listening to this, but upon the moment of recording, Putin is officially um, ill. <clears throat> Apparently, uh, there are reports that he has flu, so he hasn't even commented on, on this whole situation yet. Uh, but yeah, like I said, only now, uh, and it's been a few days now, only now they even start talking about this, which also goes um, completely, <laughs> completely against what they've said before. So what's going on in Russian government is... This is a bit crazy about all this insane massacre. So this is what happened, and then the and then the Russians gathered their forces and went back. But now, obviously, this raises a few questions, like who are these Cheveka Wagner guys? Why they were there? What they were doing there? What was the intention? And uh, why why this happened? Why Russians, together with their Bashir Assad forces? decided to attack the Kurds, why they were going for this fuel factory when they got, like, called back and bombed by the Americans. Let's start with what Cheveka Wagner is, because all this also includes the answers of all the whys. In short, Wagner is the personal private army of one Yevgeny Prigozhin, also known as the cook of Putin. It's uh, private only insofar as it's gonna get registered, because they have, they are now making laws about these private military organizations, but they're technically very illegal, and as we have heard from their actions and reports in um, Luhansk and Donetsk, they're only private insofar as, um, as they have been all made up from military personnel who's on contracts, you know, because Russia has conscription, but after that, you can stay on and, you know, sign a contract. And, you know, there, there are some parts of the Russian army that are kind of professional. So all these guys in Wagner are basically guys who were in the Russian military three, two, one day ago. They're, they're all very recent kind of turnarounds from there. So, you know, they just come out from the army and stuff. And their modus operandi is that even though private military organizations are not allowed to participate in direct combat actions according to international law... These guys ignore this fact completely. Uh, they are basically, whenever they do any missions or whatever, they are told to remove their tags, remove their passports, remove any identification that they have, and wear the uniforms of the side whom they're helping out. In this case, they were all dressed up as Bashir Assad's controlled Syrian governmental forces. Previously, they had dressed up as forces of Luhansk, Donetsk, you know, all around. But uh, why would a cook have an army? Oh, well, this is interesting, because um, Mr. Rogozin, 
he's an interesting person. And his story starts in 2001, when he personally was serving Putin in a restaurant. And uh, kind of, you know, he made friends with Mr. Putin. And then later on, as was written about um, in, in Russian Forbes, he became somewhat, something of a, um, of a kind of uh, court fool, in a way. Then he started started organizing kind of Putin's uh, Putin's birthday parties. That at this point is the key difference between success stories in cinema and how that happens in Russia. The, this Rogozin guy he didn't invent anything. He didn't like find secret treasure. He didn't win in the Olympic Games. He basically got a reward for serving the Putin's president well, as you know, tips. Basically, he was told that he can completely, freely, and without punishment, do corruption. And, uh, here we go. The, here his story basically happens, because in 2003, Prigozhin organized a banquet in the honor of Putin's birthday. In 2008, uh, Prigozhin's private company already at this point were, were the guys serving the Medvedev's inauguration ceremony. Uh, then, in 2010, he got the contract to serve food to the Russian military. In 2011, he got a contract to, f to provide food for all the public schools in Moscow. In 2012, he got a contract that his company will now feed uh, every every police officer, all these uh, all these all these forces of the Ministry of Internal Affairs. Uh, then. Uh, in 2014, he also won the context uh, to basically uh, do the sanitary services uh, for, like, cleaning services for the military installations all over Russia. In 2015, uh, he got contracted to provide service of the apartments for, uh, and like, places of living in the war, in the war cities where he also provided fuel for the stoves and fuel for the heating up and everything, and he also got contracts to create to build new buildings for the Ministry of Defense. And from 2016, his company also has won the contract to be the ones got the, who got the offer to, to do some renovation, again, in the objects of Ministry of Defense. Uh, interestingly enough, all these companies owned by Rogozin is just one part of these cook's work here. As you can see, he's the Putin's friend who has been assigned to serve the military. He's been doing that forever, and yeah, in all these uh, public contests, so to speak, obviously he won all of them because he was the only one who entered. No one else got the permission, didn't, wasn't qualified. Uh, basically, he was allowed to do complete corruption in his own way. One other thing that he's been doing is that uh, he studied as a chemist for a while, and he kind of kept his love for chemistry. You see, whenever in Russia you hear about some random heart attack of unfriendly Putin's people, or, or you know, someone being dying in a terrible accident or whatever, for most part, that's, that's closely to Rogozin's main line of work. See, he also runs a pharmaceutical company, <laughs> who also got access to this polonium where with which Litvinenko was poisoned, and yeah, he's basically treated as a poison maker of sorts as well. Russians lack money to pay their troops there, which are obviously still there, so Rogozin got promised that if he could take out oil factories, then, you know, if he does it with his own forces, then he can keep 50% of the profits, you know, help out, help out Putin, Putin helps out you. Obviously, he can't. He couldn't do this uh, alone and uh, normally with regular army forces, because that would be a massive global disaster now, wouldn't it? So, uh, he used his contacts in the military to create this Wagner army. That's his own private enterprise, as, uh, as it all started when he became this poisoner for Putin. So, you know, he had to have some oversights and needed some help from the army guys to make, you know, make his poisons different a bit, have some specialists there, whatever. So he built up his contacts in the military, created this Wagner. In Donetsk and Luhansk, he also used his contacts to provide support to these so-called so-called separatist republics. But yeah, 
right now, right now he attempted in Syria to capture this <laughs> this fuel factory so that he could line up his pockets even more. And obviously he didn't really give a damn crap about all these people who died there. And you might say, hey, those are mercenaries, but yes, there were also volunteers from Luhansk and Donetsk, and I believe that, and it makes total sense, because in recent news from Ukraine, it was stated that uh, even though they're they're kind of on, on a stalemate with Ukraine, and there's not that much of a hot war going on, uh, recently, about two, three weeks ago, it was stated that there's a massive mobilization effort happening in these republics. And nobody knew where these guys went or what were they supposed to do. Well, now we do know. Uh, well, at least what's left of them. This is the saddest part, because I want to blame Russian generals and this inherent corruption of the system for all these events. Because they weren't defending any government, they weren't defending anyone's freedom, those private forces were there, because, you know, they have they had been speaking with Bashar Assad's government, and, you know, kind of making deals with them, just to grab some private cash for themselves, and they thought, hey, well, you know, let's take a look, maybe we could um, we could shoot the Americans and the Kurds, they must all be weak because the television says so, or something. But now to understand the soldiers, because, again, uh, a lot of commentators who have commented in this in Russian media, like, especially in opposition media, they themselves are are kind of um, they have they themselves have served in the Russian military because they have a conscription there, and the system goes like this uh, because see in Russia there is a massive massive unemploy unemployment problem. So you come back from the army, and the situation in Russia is getting tougher by the day. The people are poor; they live on practically nothing, and the economical situation is just going downhill extremely fast. But a lot of people have. Uh, experience in serving in the military as they were conscripted. A lot of people <laughs> have families to feed. They have they have mortgages to pay. And then one nice day they get a call which says, well, you know, we're going to pay you 30,000 rubles per week. That's that's the average price to serve as a volunteer there. Of course, I'm not talking about the Wagner guys. Wagner guys are just contractors from the military who get transferred over there for some extra pay. But on average, it's 30,000 rubles per week. 30,000 rubles per week is 424 euros, uh, according to today's course. Or about $400. For $400 per week, these guys go out, because that's a lot of money in Russia. And they go out to other places to grab and, and make millions to their corrupt guys, and they do it out of desperation and out of the fact that their propaganda constantly... Uh, reports that, you know, the West is weak, nobody cares, we're gonna go there, it's gonna be totally cool, you guys. And nobody cares about their lives. At all. <laughs> and that is why, you know, as this is a clearly a criminal use of military force here, that is why the Russians just simply cannot admit that there is any involvement of the Russian government in this whole situation. And I can understand the American media, like uh, Mad Dog Mattis, he also stated that, hey, we don't know whom we killed, we don't know anything about any Russians. Like, I mean, Russian government told us there was no one there, so what do we know? That's an obvious massive trolling, because I'm pretty sure Mattis and, and, and Rex Tillerson and all the other guys up there in the White House, they know exactly who went there, why did they go there. In a way, this kind of proves the point. This is um, how it's been uh, described by the opposition media in Russia. This is a way of finally pushing back to Russia and not allowing them to push onwards, because... This is this is kind of the pushback of Putin's aggression, in more ways than one. What is sad is the loss of all this life. What is not sad uh, is the the terribleness and the kind of irresponsibility of Russian military command, who just refused, refused, basically threw these guys away for nothing, just to serve some some dude's oil interests, some private guys' only oil interests. He's on the. Kremlin lists to Magnitsk Sankti, like Magnitsk lists, all the sanction lists you could probably find. Yeah, yeah, this guy's there. What's going to happen now is previously, at least uh, on, on previous wars where Russia had participated, the wounded were not, not treated well. Uh, guys who come back from Donetsk or Luhansk, they don't get any pensions because, you know, they're not there. Ich tam as they told in Russia. 
people's lives are being ruined. Uh, they they don't get any pensions. They don't get any kind of official admittance because you know they are not there. Why should we pay any pensions for the survivors there? These guys, however, are a bit more dangerous than you know. In Donetsk and Luhansk, you can just leave, leave the leave the wounded soldiers who return to their own fates. But in this case, in this case, uh, according to reports, there are about 150 people with extremely huge, dreadful wounds in the hospital. What I presume is that they're just all gonna get, um, gonna get killed off quietly because this is uh, such a fuss that you know, if in for if in first Russian, the Russian press kind of press representative, press secretary of Putin even denied the existence of this, then. This has reached such a fuss on the internet and it's gained so much notoriety that they even have to admit that, you know, some Russian Russian citizens died there. They will never tell you the full numbers on anything. That's that's out of the question, but the fact that they have been forced to even admit this is something huge. That is why I waited until they would do, because, you know, my own deadlines are coming closer. But uh, I wanted to hear if the Russian government has anything to say about this. And Putin obviously hasn't, because since... Since 7th, he's been sick with flu, therefore doesn't give any comments. Which is strange, too. And we don't know what Rogozin will do, too. But, um, but yeah, these people will not have nice fates, those who survived. They will either get killed off or forgotten. But that, I think, is Putin's main problem now. Because now you have a whole lot of them on hand. About 150, according to reports. But of, of them, obviously, many will die. <laughs> but there will be no public mourning. There will be just governmental decisions on how to deal with your own guys who had went to do some really criminal and terrible things because of sheer desperation and poverty to serve personal interests of some really corrupt asshole. And now they've been blasted to hell and back and uh, Putin's elections are coming. And if this would come to light in Russia and cause even bigger fuss there when these people would come out, because, you know, their families are already posting on social media that, hey, this guy died there fighting in Syria at that point. It's coming out, but those <laughs> those articles also kind of get deleted. So that's, that's the Putin's main problem for the following few days. But yeah, it's a shame about the guys, because even those who survived, they're not going to have happy fates now. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. So what does this whole thing mean for me, you, everyone listening, and the whole region and safety in general? Well, we all know that Russia will try to find an answer to this, because the go their government is kind of wengeful in this idea, and uh, a lot of their military still follows the Soviet era, thinking that some revenge must be had. But I doubt that they'll seek a direct confrontation with uh, NATO forces, or coalition forces for that matter, for one, uh, some commentators, such as Nevzorov, had stated that, uh, you know, what's there to mourn? There were mercenaries, guys who went there to kill people for money. And he also alluded to the fact that the kind of the fighter pilot, fighter bomber pilot, who was shot down in Syria previously, just a few days before the Russian one, that he was also going to just bomb civilians, because Russians are kind of famous for bombing civilians in Syria. And not ISIS at all, if you can look at the maps of their airstrikes. So, some people, like this video sort of say, says that uh, this response to this already had happened, that uh, that Israeli plane that got shot down in the skies of Syria by Bashar Assad supporters, that it was the response. 
To which, again, Israel responded by just blasting away anti-air capabilities of the Syrian government. But yeah, I think that any direct military conflict will be avoided. But we will certainly hear some very silly uh, silly things from uh, Mr. Zhirinovsky or some other people out, out there. And it's gonna get a bit crazy. <laughs> like, uh, for example, when recently... Uh, when recently Mr. Elon Musk, and congratulations to him for that, when he uh, kind of launched his space, uh, space from, with his SpaceX program, the Falcon Heavy rocket, then just a few days later, uh, the Ministry of Ministry of Cosmo, Cosmic Affairs, because you know they're a cosmonautics ministry, they declared that they're going to launch a unique project. It's going to be super special Russian project there, uh, which will kind of serve as a public face, because you know. Roscosmos lost a lot of face, and there were like when we watch when we were watching the launch, I watched it in Russian, in Russian YouTube channels and Russian kind of media, and there were a lot of comments who were just kind of cheering for the explosion of the rocket. But you know, it launched successfully as it does, and now their response is going to be that they're going to they're going to launch a chapel in space. So they're going to launch up a satellite, which is. Uh, <laughs> Which is going to be like all the all the measurement instruments are going to be taken out, and that's going to be replaced with a small miniature chapel in space, with the icons uh, and of course some other computers. There will be replaced with a reliquary. At the same time, this satellite shall be armed, and it will also be used besides this uh, temple in the temple in space as a means to track down movements of ballistic missiles, and it'll be equipped to shoot down other satellites. Now, for my few Orthodox listeners out there, I'm not really sure that you should have a temple, an Orthodox church, armed with lasers and missiles out in space. That is kind of silly, but that's kind of, as as people treat it on the Russian internet, the official response of the Russian government to Elon Musk. Because, you know, they have to respond. But in this case... In this case, I personally think that Putin is is just ill and out there while they come up with something that they could do. Because obviously, well, this was the first case, as again, military commentators from the Russian side are saying, when uh, Russian army, Russian army units, because those th- that's exactly who these Wagner guys were, when the Russian army is fighting someone who's also capable of fighting back. Because, as the opposition journalist Sasha Sotnik says, the Russians are good when fighting against Georgians, Georgians whose whole population is less than that of Moscow, and uh, then they're fighting Ukrainians, who are also ill-equipped and under-equipped. And even though the Russian propaganda constantly states that they have the best tanks, their new tank Armata and everything, they still were panicking when they found out about uh, the lethal weapons being given to Ukrainians, and then one has to wonder why. If, uh, if these weapons can't do anything to mighty Russian tanks, and as previously, obviously, American missiles and anything, they couldn't harm Soviet vehicles. It's the same story, really, because it's the same generals. Then, you know, why are they so worried? Well, right now, the Russians decided to experiment a bit with assaulting a modern army, inspired by their own fake victories and everything, and that ended really terrible for them. And there is no way, no way how the Putin's Kremlin government can turn this into a positive. But they're trying really, really hard, so we will soon see something um, something silly out of them. On the bright side, this has lessened the chances of of, uh, of the Baltics getting invaded or anything of that sort. But it might cause some internal issues in Russia. Because this uh, military might, this ideal story about how, you know, army is invincible and how everything, everything is smooth uh, and based up on our military. Uh, the Soviet military culture is kind of close to the American one with the glorification of heroes. But unlike the Americans, they don't they don't really care about their veterans or their or their dead or their wounded, for example. They care only about you know successes and and, and great stories about how everything was was great and will be great in in the future. And this is a bit silly at this point. It is sad and it is miserable. And now the Russians are panicking. They're definitely panicking. 
but this this is and I, I am I'm I'm kind of wary to predict this situation as Rogozin himself is responsible for a lot of political murders inside Russia. And as he knows that he's the one responsible for this by Putin, there's also some theories going around that this might serve as a beginning, as a beginning of some sort of internal palace coup in Russia. Because, you know, uh, as Putin is ill now, it is possible, might possi- might be possible to happen that uh, he might not, after all, get elected on the 18th of March. Because, you know, uh, what if we just put all the blame on Putin instead of, you know, all the elites who are tied into this corruption network completely, and, you know, put all the blame on Putin, get rid of Putin, and say to the world that, hey, we're clean and nice and everything's great and shiny. <laughs> That's, of course, just, just an opinion and a theory, but that, that might happen. It's it's a weird prediction there. In the end, <laughs> in the end, the current situation is that they will still get a lot of reinforcements and so-called volunteers. Because, for one, in Russia, um, turns out that people are losing money en masse as... Uh, a few of their banks had gone gone down under, artificially imploded by people who were kind of losing... They lost their money who was in offshore, so they had to get get some money back. So about a year ago, a couple of banks went under, kind of private-owned banks, who were... Uh, There's a lot of suspicion that FSB and other Russian state agencies were involved there with players. But there were people who just, you know, before the, before the bankruptcy of these banks and the official declaration that they were closed... There are people who, you know, as usual, manage to take out money from the banks. But now, the Russian Agency of Protecting Investments is suing people in Russia en masse. About 150,000 people, common everyday people, have been sued uh, so that they would return the money that they themselves, their own money, that they themselves had taken out of Russian banks. And it's all based because... They, the government, this agency declares that, hey, they all must have had some insider knowledge about that these banks are gonna get bankrupt, so they took their money out to preserve their money. Yeah, and uh, the situation has gone so absurd that even uh, anti-liberal, anti-West media are writing about this now. This is just too big, because, for example, there were people who, who just got ill and who didn't know anything about it. Like, people, random people from the country said 150,000 people common people all had insider knowledge about what the central bank agency would do, even though the central bank itself took out insane amounts of money uh, from these banks just two days before they were declared bankrupt. <laughs> and But, but Ms. Nabiulina, who runs the whole banking, banking sector in, in Russian government, yeah, she doesn't declare that to be insider knowledge, but uh, your, random, your random person random person kind of outside uh, outside the inner circles, yeah, they are the true insiders. So what's going on now is that the Russian government just keeps taking, taking money away from from the people, which means that if, uh, if Putin would want to kind of evolve into an even more aggressive thing and do, do something crazy again, then he would have a fresh, nice line of uh, troops available to him because people in desperation do such things. And this, this whole weird poverty in Russia, and I was I was intending this to be a whole different episode, uh, especially in, in Siberian cities like Vladivostok, like eastern part of uh, of Russia, which is kind of the far east part. There is a youth movement called Auye. It stands. It's that it comes from prison jargon and literally kind of means. Uh, Unity of uh, unity of the arrested and unity of the arrested and those sitting in prison, because uh, in Russia at this point the kind of the kids in schools they don't see any future for them, so people with contacts in Russian prison system just arrive in your school, find out who's the biggest bully, and then you know put put their watch over him with the text of, hey, you know, if you bully around other kids in school and, you know, beat money out of them and then give half of that money to me, which to, to provide for the guys sitting in prison right now, then when you will finally get arrested, then, you know, you help out the zone and the zone will help out you further on. And it's quite a mass movement. There have been, like, a, a bunch of activities going on there. Now, why this happens? Because, obviously, 
<laughs> these guys are now raised in some prison slang, prison culture. They have gangs running schools like teenagers beating up smaller kids and really giving this money thing. <laughs> what, what little do they have, obviously. <laughs> but the root of the problem is that in Russia, there are a lot of smaller smaller cities and towns who are dependent on just one kind of a company, like one kind of business. Uh, just as, uh, as far as I know, something similar happened in Detroit with the car and steel industry, which went down, and in the Midwest, the coal industry or something like that. You know, the, there are towns who are dependent just on one, one type of industry. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Russia, this whole situation about how these industries die off is a bit different than just, you know, technology marching forward. See, in this in this uh, corporate uh, corporate mafia, the process works like this. You let's imagine this. You you're a businessman. You have managed through the Soviet era to save up a factory that builds say I, I don't know whatever tractors. So you've saved up your tractor company, people have saved up their tractor company. This whole tractor company is where 60% of the town work or whatever. And then one day you get a call from the government because someone has decided that they need to press off your company and get a bit more money. So, and this is also figurating in my interview with Mr. Dmitry Potapenko. Uh, Russia has about 70 non-tax kind of uh, mandatory payments to the government by the companies. So, you know, you're running your tractor company, which is by now grown successful and provide money. But then you get a co then you constantly, constantly, constantly start getting random checks. Up to, like, uh, in one report, it was, there was this company in, in Kuban who started getting 400 governmental checks per day, for, per, per year, sorry, 400 governmental checks per year. Basically, are the, is the paperwork in order, everything, they just start to press down on these, these businesses to the point where they will find some, some regulations, some of, of insane amount of the regulations, insane amount of paperwork, whatever obscene amount of rules in Russia, and they will find or fabricate something that you've done wrong. Then they'll say, well, you know, we, we can put you in prison for this, or, you know, you can, you can uh, just resign, we, we will put this bankruptcy administrator on you, whatever, you know, just, just put, put one of our, uh, our own kind of clerks in power of this company. Usually it ends up with uh, these uh, kind of bankruptcy administrators or whatever, just forcing the businessman to hand over hand over his business, his whole company, to the state, state clerks who are all tied together in this whole gigantic mafia organization. So once that happens, these guys go to the governmental investment banks and basically mortgage every, every little tiny thing which, which they can, taking huge amounts of useless loans which they themselves then pocket, you know, dealing out to their friends or whatever, family, whatever. They just pocket and steal all the money from these loans. The company runs on for a while, but then the guys who are their friends in the central bank, the state-owned bank, yeah, those guys then come over and decide that, hey, enough's enough, we also need to get some money, because, you know, budget money has been just stolen away by our officials. So they just go and basically uh, sell off uh, for, for scrap metal or whatever. They just sell off every property that this whole company had. Then they take the money and pocket it, you know, other people, so that other people can steal it. That is how the kind of the oligarchs in Russia make a lot of their money, just basically pressing off private businesses, mortgaging them to governmental banks who are run by their friends and their colleagues, and then they just basically forcibly steal off your company using government as a means of extortion. And then, obviously, a lot of people just stay out of work. They stay out of work, they become... the poverty level increases, and, you know, people get poorer and poorer. From these people, this is where the so-called volunteers come from. Those are people who were just working in their factory, but the government officials decided that, hey, you know, we have uh, sanctions now, and, uh, you know, due to sanctions, some of our higher-ups have lost some money, and th which they want back, and if I'll help do this scheme, then I will be able to afford another yacht, and, you know, uh, it's gonna be great, I'll get my own Otka. This is where the volunteers come from. <laughs> these Wagnerovtsi, these guys who, who do there, it's just that... Uh, What's going on there is uh, enforced impoverishing of their own people 
and using then those impoverished people to commit some commit some nice acts of aggression like in Ukraine or Crimea or as we saw we saw here in Syria and you know then Putin can declare another another Russian victory trademark <laughs> and, and it kind of plays in politically because a lot of people still vote for him because you know obviously he's making the government great but right now what happened on the 7th we saw that a government without economy and without modern technologies who were all imported from the west they can't they cannot wage war now and this is this might be the breaking point again with all this crazy situation here that um that we might see we might see some turnabout because at this point everything that can be stolen is stolen but it turns out it's just not enough to score another great victory things in my opinion are about to get interesting the closer the 18th of march comes uh we're getting back to our regular history episodes of course and we'll be busy with those but i hope you enjoyed it please please write us an email uh leave us leave us a review on itunes and other things and, and do do contact me write us some emails or on facebook or on twitter eastern under slash border or facebook just eastern border just write what you think about all this situation because things are getting really interesting here and uh can't say i'm a huge fan of interesting anyhow let us know and the свидания товарищ Thank you for listening to The Eastern Border. If you have any comments or specific details you'd like to know, you're welcome to leave it in the comment section on our site, theeasternborder.lv, and we'll rummage even to the western border to find you an answer. Like this podcast? Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or on our RSS feed. Happiness is mandatory. Good reviews and donations feed the farmers of our kolkhoz in the great motherland. The Eastern Border salutes you. This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org for more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.